This week's episode is brought to you by the Film Rescue Show. The Film Rescue Show is a long-form podcast in which their crew and a guest fix a film every week. Want a good first episode? Check out episode 89 with Axel and myself, where he pitched fixes for the League of Extraordinary Drummond. Still waiting on that call, Warner Brothers. For fans of filmmaking, writing, and behind-the-scenes content, check out the Film Rescue Show on all your favorite podcasting sites today. Welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this, the darkest timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today, man? I'm tired. How's it going with you? Yeah, you sound tired. Uh, I'm enjoying the fact that I am the only part of the world not caught in a heat wave. <laughs> Lucky you. Like, it's still too hot for my standards, but I'm not like 100 plus degrees like other parts of the world. Yeah, I, I don't know how it was today. I think it was 90-something. So, right. Yeah, I think we got up to 80, which is still too hot when the humidity is 100%, but it, it's doable. Gross. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, let's roll right into our patron sound off. These are the people that give us money to, you know, maintain the running of this show week to week. They are Pam Galley, Mark E., Chris Chipman, River Galley, Croak, Arthur Crane, Kevin Vade, Brendan Eng, John Vittles, Kit Kenny, Seth Decker, Don Lucy, Patrick Hesner, Carson Mello, Scott Rubin, Derek Tony, and Peter Cook. Now, if you'd like to join that illustrious legion, just head over to patreon.com forward slash Geeks with Shields. 25 cents an episode is a dollar a month. That keeps us rolling and gets you some nice benefits. Today... Even though we're not doing one of our spinoff things that always has a guest, we still have a guest. So feel free to introduce <laughs> yourself. Everyone, uh, Bert Jennings back again. Super excited to be here. I think this topic is amazing. I think about it in my free time so all the time. So really excited to be on this episode. Thanks for having me back. And for those of you who maybe are listening to this on some sort of device where you didn't see the topic, Ulrich, what's our topic? Our topic is will it war? Will it total war? See, <laughs> so, yeah, you almost said the other thing. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know that is well. That other thing has been dominating this franchise for so long. I kind of forget there was a before time. It feels like a reasonable domination, though. So yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, which I actually think is somewhat reasonable considering that it's yeah, niche. this is a big game, but still very niche. Total War is a series of video games that is, in my estimation, best described as a cross between a 4X game and, an, and a proper RTS game, in that half the game is played like a 4X game. For anyone who doesn't know, that's basically Civilization and stuff like that. The 4Xs are for, like, Explore... Ex explore, Expand, Explore exterminate i think so anyway point is that's like civ where you, you know you're building a city on a big world map and you you explore out in kind of a grid system in some of them but not always and then you you usually deal with other factions and then rts i feel like i don't have to explain that one as much but it means real-time strategy that's games like age of empires or starcraft where you build up an army it also involves building up a city but instead of building up like multiple cities you build on a building by building basis whereas in a forex game you just build like a city <laughs> but anyway then you build up an army and then you go in real time have the armies fight each other usually in a forex game it's more like a uh this army set to attack that army and then a bunch of math happens behind the scenes to tell you like all right here's what happened so in a total war game you play like a 4X game, but every battle can be done like an RTS battle. 
Yep. And it has been traditionally historical games up until the release of Total War Warhammer when it dipped its toe into Warhammer and got all its good, fun uh, fantasy goodness. I've, I've put a lot of time since getting it only last <laughs> year into Total War Warhammer 2. So. I, I also have too many hours in this game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think my there was at one point where I was not uh, working. I was in, employed with unemployment. And uh, I, I think I racked up so many hours on Medieval Total War 2 that Steam stopped tracking it. <laughs> see, that's surprising because yeah. I know that... Uh, let's see, I saw a picture on Twitter recently because I have followed one of the big Total War Warhammer guys and he showed like he had... F- 14,000 hours in Total War Warhammer 2. Good God, no! Yeah, it was something like that. It was ridiculous. (laughs) It's a really fun game. (laughs) Yeah. And so when when we say, like, historical, again, think like Age of Empires, there was stuff like Total War uh, Rome, Total War Shogun, Total War Medieval, as as Bert just mentioned. I have only played Total Warhammer because, just like with Age of Empires, I liked Age of Mythology more because I like the big monsters and stuff. But I, I've heard that the Total Warhammer games are probably overall the best, but there are certain aspects of the other ones that are done better. I will stuff. disagree with that, and I will I will make my states. People, I maintain that Rome Total War Two is the best Two. in the series. Yeah, I was just going based off like Reddit forums I've read, so I have no. Yes, well, we're not going to dive into the fantasy versus historical fans because they're be trolls. Yeah, I totally buy that. <laughs> I, that's why I was saying, like, from what I. From what I was reading, the general consensus is that the Warhammer game is the most overall like, but that there are mechanics in, especially Rome and other ones, that they like want in the Warhammer version. Oh yeah, anyway, no, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. there's an you got there's a uh, recency bias at play, and there is a huge influx of fans of uh, Warhammer Total War is the only Total War games they've played. Okay, so real quick to give a uh, context. Like I just said, my experience is solely with Total Warhammer 2 and 3. I I have one, but I don't know why I would ever play it when I already had two. So what are your guys' experiences with the... Something between a franchise and a genre, I feel like. It's a franchise, franchise, but it's also a little bit more than a franchise, it feels like to me. Well, yeah, yeah, no no one does what Total War does, which has kind of been what their success has been based on. Like, no one's cop... No one's mastered their formula. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm not too unfamiliar with that. I am a From Software fan, after all. So, anyway. So, what are your experiences? Let's go Ulrich first. I have played every game in this series except for the first Shogun. (laughs) At one point, I owned all but the first Shogun game. I have played since Medieval 1. That was my first game. I those mixed up. Um, I love this genre. I love this setting. I, mean, I like some more than others. Yeah, I'm only very little bit surprised that you haven't played one of them because not that you have an East bias. You used to have an East bias. I feel like you've dealt with that a lot. But <laughs> Yeah. No, Shogun 1, by the time I got... A, like, when I played Medieval 2, that was fun. That was good. Then Rome 1 came out, and that was so much better. And then it's like, yeah, you couldn't get shogun one for the longest time and then steam put it out and it's like this has advanced so far beyond you i just don't have an interest to go back and play yeah. like no the the cutoff is here and it's i don't know 
as Total War games go on, it gets kind of harder and harder to go back to some of the older ones because you're like, this is fun, but I'm missing this and this and Calvary's janky as fuck. I'll also add that if, like me, you're listening and you were a fan of the Heroes of Might and Magic games, there's a lot of overlap there, too. Anyway. Yeah. Bert, your experiences. Yeah, I uh, I started with Shogun, the very first one. Uh, when it first came out, I was it, the game blew my mind. It is definitely a game that I would say it's almost impossible to go back to now. Yep. But I started with Shogun 1. I've played and owned everything except for uh, some of the newer ones, which I don't think my computer can handle. So I haven't played Three Kingdoms, and I have not played Troy um but besides that i have played and owned uh every other one and i've been around since since shogun one which uh quite literally started uh, a very long series of game addiction with this series <laughs> yeah no so many hours countless yeah. hours especially on that first roam yeah these yeah. are i haven't really thought about what aesthetics of play are the primary ones here but these are definitely fantasy and expression titles where you're choosing the army that you know uh, appeals to you and they're definitely uh challenge games and that you're overcoming an arbitrary obstacle usually fighting a bunch of other factions and trying to conquer the world or accomplish some other arbitrary task but yeah if the idea of building up armies and like very large ones too <laughs> compared to a lot of other games and then doing stuff with them in real time like Ah, that's the appeal. It's a large part of the appeal. There's a lot of appeals at play here, I think. There's so. something super basic uh, that hits in my, I don't know, my reptilian brain of the idea of having a map being given a color and then spreading that color throughout the entirety of the map. Yes. Uh, I, yeah. I tapped in that hardcore with some 4X games. So. <laughs> oh, it's, just, it's a fun empire simulator. My point of bringing that up, though, is that since aesthetic, I think, is a big part of it, I think that's, like we said, I, I don't think we're going to take any particular stance on history versus fantasy, but we can mention both of them. Anything's up for sure. grabs in this conversation. Yeah, I have cherry-picked the most common ones I have seen. Uh, Bert and Axel will also throw out ones they think. And then we're just going to kind of talk about, like, could this work as a full Total War game or could this work as a saga game? And for those of you playing at home, a saga game is a small, focused, limited game. Uh, the two they've done so far were Thrones of Britannia, which focused on the Iron Age Viking period of Great Britain, and the Trojan War Bronze Age. Okay. Well, then, I guess we should get right into it with what I feel like is... Your, your first suggestion feels like the big, I don't know, elephant in the room is not the right yeah. thing. Yeah, well, uh, this is the most popularly suggested, hotly contested one. The except, lowest hanging fruit. It's, it's... Except <laughs> for one which we will discuss at the very, 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 very end. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's growing out of the ground. It's a watermelon. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and I'll cut out that space later. I get why people want this, but I don't think they'd be happy if they got it. It's interesting because I was thinking about this one because uh, they so the great thing about Total War is there's a lot of great mods that you can download um, that are kind of outside of the the quote unquote vanilla games. And I remember playing an LOTR version uh, mod for uh, Medieval 2. Very popular mod. Super popular mod. And for 
a lot of ways it works. Um, however, it's definitely stuck on that uh, Total War II engine, so there's limitations to that. So for me, it's like I think LOTR could actually work really well if you did a couple things. Basing it off more um, uh, uh, Warhammer um, elements where there's like there is magic involved, but there magic plays much a much less in your face role in Lord of the Rings than it does in yep. Warhammer. Yeah. So for to me, it kind of it would play very similar, but instead of it being magic based, it would be hero based. So you would have you're still your like legendary heroes. But they would do like crazy things on the battlefield, but they wouldn't do so much like magic power stuff. Um, and I think it could work really well. My thought, though, is that it needs to you would take that element of Warhammer um, Total War, but you would need it to feel more like some of the uh, historical ones in regards to like how the armies actually maneuver and um, fight each other. Does that make sense? Yeah. I yeah. And at the same yep. time, I yeah. feel like outside of deep cutting the Silmarillion, there's just not that much variety that, at least not from what I would ex- want. From this kind of you game. could get it, but here's the problem. There's no diplomacy. Yep. And the other big problem is unless you have to strike a deal with the Tolkien estate and you have to strike a deal with Warner Brothers unless you're going to create the designs wholesale. And that's the biggest thing people forget. They think they're going to get the Lord of the Rings from the movies. They'd have to strike a deal with Warner Brothers to use those designs. Otherwise, they have to create it all from scratch. And you're not getting Sir Ian McKellen as Gandalf. You're getting whatever Creative Assembly thinks Gandalf should look like. And I think there's also a very important difference in trying to create something from scratch in Lord of the Rings versus other properties. Like, again, I'm a huge fan of Total Warhammer. And one of the interesting things about Total Warhammer 3 is that they took several, like, factions that were, from my understanding, just reading about them pretty much non-existent i mean they existed but not really in the lore and then created whole huge amounts of lore and and units for them with with cathay and with well kids Kids less so but mostly with cathay from my understanding games workshop did that games workshop has said that they have army books for them that they then handed to games workshop yes my understanding of of like listening to people in behind the scenes is that they were working like with creative assembly to flesh out these ideas and yeah. So the point is that that is yeah, it's like official, but it's official because of this game, not adapted necessarily for this game. And doing the same but, thing the, for Lord of the Rings would feel I think you'd have a lot more pushback. Yeah, and I don't know who you're working with. Like I said, CA could go to Games Workshop and say, "Hey, we want to do this." And Games Workshop like, "Hey, we're really this is, you know, what we do. We can make an army." Who do you go to like hey, we can't use any of the Weta designs. Uh, we need to build all these characters from the ground up, and people are going to be mad that they're not the same. But let's assume I think that... that... And that hits it directly. It's not, sorry, not to interrupt. I think that hits it directly in the head. Is so, many people, so many people are used to the New Line Cinema movies. Yep. That, that is their visualization of Lord of the Rings. And if you did something different, I feel like there'd be like a pretty big pushback. Yeah, so let's assume that they can because they've got the deal with Games Workshop and Games Workshop has a Lord of the Rings miniatures game. They do. Mm -hmm. So let's assume that they can do that through whatever back channels. It still comes down to there's no diplomacy. Yeah. How does that... Yes, it's called the Total War game, but diplomacy plays a big part of the game. Well, hold on. It's nothing more than don't attack me for a few turns. Hold on. Wait, Wait a second here. I, I, I understood at first what you meant when you said there's no diplomacy. But the longer I think about it, 
Why couldn't there be diplomacy? I think it's just the way that the Lord of the Rings uh, kind of depends. I guess it depends on when you said it. But if we said it in the classic, like, you know, end of the Third Age kind of stuff, it's very uh, cut and dry when it comes to, like, good versus bad. Yeah, so, like, but even even in even in Total War Warhammer, there's an interesting thing where you could have like demons having quote unquote diplomacy with sure. humans, you and they just can. have like, a major negative. There's things like the fact that Nakari does like trickery in his diplomacy that I feel like you'd easily do with Sauron and and Saruman and stuff. Yeah, no, you can do it, but then you have to try to line up. Are you making an authentic ex- total uh, Lord of the Rings experience by going actually Rohan sided with Isengard? And balancing that one. Well, I mean, that's, that's where it gets real but tricky. Is... But I think that's an important thing. Authentic? Because from my understanding, right, like, you can make an authentic experience to any of the settings of a, any Total War game, but that is a small portion of what these games are capable of. I mean, yeah. you, know, you play these Part wrong. of the fun of the Total War series is, like, that what-if element that you kind of get. Yeah. So, yeah, like, in reality, of course, Rohan would never... Uh, team up with Isengard, but you can bet your ass there'll be players that are like, I want to play that <laughs> game. So. It's it's striking the balance because when the first Warhammer came out, a lot of people were upset at the idea of like, no, there's no way dwarfs and orcs should have diplomacy. And they said, no, you can, but you're going to have to really, really, really work at it. So maybe it, it could work. And if you take the... You can, but there's so many negatives stacked yeah. that it couldn't get. So the other real question is like, okay, but then you have the problem of everyone kind of lines up on one of two sides just by default. Yeah. Well, that's why I was just saying. Like, ge- geographically, it's like, it's a really, it's, it's, Middle Earth is an interesting location from a Total War perspective in the map. It's, it's interesting because you could definitely, it's very much left side versus right side even though you can do pockets with within it uh with like you know moria and uh the orcs from agmar so there are ways that you can like drop in kind of like little pockets of of enemies within it but it it turns it into a weird landscape where i'm not i'm not sure how that plays out in regards to uh like actually having it being like a fulfilling like map experience if that makes sense i think you yeah no that too because it's a very common thing even within the context of lord of the rings for infighting so you could have like factions that are all on one side supposedly dealing with each other for petty selfish reasons it's easy on the evil side to have like orc warlords and stuff like that or or people like saruman who maybe thinks he could be the big bad on the good side you can have how many human kingdoms fighting each other I don't know. Yeah. So Yeah, but then that comes back around to are people getting what they want from a Lord of the Rings game? Because I think what people really want is they want a Lord of the Rings RTS. Maybe. Yeah. And if I could make if I can make a, a minor recommendation, uh the very first Battle for Middle Earth game. Yes. Battle for Middle Earth one had an amazing mechanic where it was like you'd play through the campaign and it was like progressive. You would have units in the fight. And then as you move from like location to location, like those same units would come with you. And it, they kind of turned it into a what if too. Like you can actually save Bormir and Bormir's with you for the rest of the yep, campaign. That was fun. And it was super fun. So I feel like if there's a version of this where and now now I'm leaning almost towards like saga in a sense, where if it was more like structured, like maybe I don't know, but then does that take it away from what a total war game is? See, my hmm. that's my first thought is that I think it'd be appropriate for a saga game where it could just be a more focused, like, yeah, experience. It just feels like with something as big as Lord of the Rings that 
it's it just feels odd to say that but it would be an odd saga but troy kind of works in that everyone on one they have the trojans versus the greeks and you can kind of make diplomacy, but it's not really geared towards that. So you have the two factions. So it's possible, but I do think if Lord of the Rings work, it's going to be a saga game. And even then, the map's going to have real issues. Yeah. Because you're just going to run into just doom tides coming out of one direction or the other, I think. So we call Lord of the Rings a saga title with uh, parentheses. I see that as probably the best option, honestly. I can get by that. All right. Uh, next one, this might be quick, this might be long, I don't know. Uh, Warcraft. Yes, easy, done. <laughs> I don't I'm not, know I'm not enough. even a Warcraft fan, but that's a huge fucking setting with tons of different races that in a already really fleshed out kind of map. Yeah, it's easy. That's an easy in, I think. Okay, I was gonna say, I, do, I haven't touched Warcraft in ages, and I just kind of look this one like, yeah, I would like a Warcraft 4 too, guys, but I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I'm probably the least familiar with Warcraft as an IP and, and like all the stuff. I remember playing like the RTS way back when. So I definitely remember there being like having a lot of fun with that. Same literally, point. Yeah, Go literally the only, the only downside, or it's not the only downside, the only obstacle I think you have is that the primary conflict at play tends to be about, you know, the Horde and the Alliance. Now you mm. can throw in some wrenches with that with like demons and the pandarins which that's a whole nother conversation but so but that's probably the the only real obstacles you've got a very similar to the lord of the rings conversation you've got a very left right kind of thing going on now that is not quite as literal but you still got the basis of the horde and the basis of the alliance and they're on different sides of the map so sure yeah i don't know i mean i i'm sure like when i last left off there were four factions i know it's splintered heavily from there but it could work blizzard's not going to give you the rights but it could work yeah no i again i'm going to say that i think this one would be super easy because it's honestly would not be that different from total war warhammer and there's a lot of reasons yeah. why it wouldn't be that different that i don't need to touch so sure <laughs> that raises a question of we have warhammer do we need warcraft yeah honestly personally i would say yes but only because there are certain aesthetic power fantasies at play in warcraft races that to my knowledge don't really exist in yeah warhammer basic example warhammer's got beastmen beastmen are cool but they've got nothing like worgen who are a whole very specific kind of werewolf victorian aesthetic thing going on in warcraft Ooh. that i would love to see fleshed out to like a full faction or even better example are orcs where orcs in warhammer are a very unique thing Orcs in Warcraft are also actually a very unique thing, separate from, like, orcs in Lord of the Rings or orcs in D&D. And so, like, I know that a lot of my friends who are really into Warcraft IP are because of, like, how expanded out the orc society is in Warcraft, and they would be a very different power fantasy, so... Alright, alright. Uh, next up is Game of Thrones. Yes. Honestly... 100% yes, I yes. this so bad. Yeah, I played this uh, one. My, my first thought was, if we have, quote-unquote, or if we have non-fantasy Total War games and they work, then and we have fantasy Total War games and they work, then yeah, do Game of Thrones. It's an in-between. Just do it. <laughs> I was thinking yeah. so much about this, and it's like there's so many things here that you can pull from like other games that I think will work. 
So like a, it definitely needs a really heavy politics system. Right? It yep. should have the most intense diplomacy system of any. Really, I mean, there's literally in the title. The title is Game of Thrones yeah. because <laughs> of diplomacy. So and, no, and, Three Kingdoms laid down a lot of groundwork in dealing with that whole back end. Yeah, honestly, I would say that this is the one where like shift the percentage so that the actual war is less of a deal than so it's closer to a Civ game than an RTS game. Still, you know, you want both because Total War game, but I'm just saying the balance would shift. Yeah, because it's like, I, I think there's something really interesting here if you do the politics system. And I can't think of this mechanic in any other Total War game, but there's some a few that I haven't. But in most of the Total War games, the only way you conquer more lands is through military might, right? Like you actually take it over. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if there's a way to implement uh, a mechanic for diplomacy and politics in game of thrones where like the shifting of like titles like okay cool actually you're now the lord of the the riverlands right and all yeah. of a sudden it's just like boom you get all this like territory right so like part of that is the a changing and acquiring of certain titles just can allow you to get like massive uh swaths of land without necessarily fighting it but then there would be like huge potentially depending on what your politic level is um you know, rebellion in those areas, right? So there's some really interesting mechanics that you can I, add. Yeah, ahead, I mean, sorry. one of my first thoughts, and I kind of hate myself for thinking this because of my own personal political beliefs, but I think a debt mechanic would be super interesting. Ooh. Like, you could Ooh. literally have trade agreements and loan agreements, and then you have, like, an accruing debt, and if another faction or army gets, like, too high, you just absorb them. Because, hey, I bought you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and like i was thinking about that that adds to my my thought of like there's there could be so many one of the things that i like about um the total war games is the events that happen yeah like global events so you obviously can do stuff where you know the targaryens land back on um uh, westeros but everyone knows that like the end game for this would be white walkers right uh that's like that thing that you have to survive who have no diplomacy they'd be the only race with correct zero diplomacy (laughs) And, and so, it, like, one of the, I just, I think about that, because I think about how many other games have that, where, like, uh, you know, in the end times for Warhammer and what have you, where that suddenly just is terrifying. Yeah. it's an, an element the, of the Mongol game. invasion from War on Medieval 2. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So I was just like, dude, this is so queued up for, for a perfect Warhammer experience. I'm sorry, a Total War experience. Um, I, I want this so badly. <laughs> No, I think all the pieces are there. The only real question comes to battles. Yeah. Because that is the bread and butter. And it's like, okay, I can already see how you do it. Like certain houses specialize certain ways. Well, that's why I was going to ask. Because, again, I have not played a non-fantasy Total War. But like I said, I was a fan of Age of Empires. And I liked Age of Mythology way more. Because having, like, an army with trolls versus one with automatons felt different. Whereas in Age of Empires, it's like, okay, this is an army of archers in green versus an army of archers in blue, you know? Yeah. And so how do you avoid that in the more realistic Total Wars? I haven't played them. Because whatever they avoid that is how we're going to have to adapt into a Game of Thrones story. Basically, you pick a setting with enough diversity, but I already have an idea. Uh, You form alliances, and then those alliances allow you access to special units from that house. So if you ally with House Aaron, then you get Knights of the Vale. Here's a question. In a Total War game, and I'm like a blank one, a Total War game of any kind, what is the minimum number of 
units in a faction and the minimum number of unique units mm. in a faction for it to feel fleshed out enough. So you guys think since you've played more than me. I'm going back to the really bad DLCs for Rome 2. Just because, like, again, the only one I've played in Total Warhammer has, like, 25 unique factions, all with vastly different units. Yeah. So I feel like that's, like... That is the platinum bar. What is the I'm gonna, minimum we have to get to? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the minimum threshold is probably something closer to like Shogun Two. Yeah, that's the game where there wasn't that much variety between factions. Really, really well balanced, but not a lot of variety. And like that's the one thing where I feel like in a situation with Game of Thrones, you have to do a couple of things to like add some spice to it right one would be aesthetics so yeah. like the people from you know uh stark a stark foot men at arms is going to look different than a, a lannister man at arms yep um so like that already adds me some level of, of connection the other thing is exactly what you're saying it's like certain houses would need special units that yeah every house gets a special unit and if you ally with them you get access to the special unit just one no like you can recruit from like no, you no, can no, recruit no. I mean, them like, in. Let's let's take okay. Let's use a oh, very no. basic. Example. The great houses would have like four to six. The lesser okay. houses have two. Let's just for sake of experiment. Let's take a very well known you know family. Let's take a let's take the Lannisters. What would their special units probably be? Hmm. Uh, the Lannisters as a can loose feel example. A lot of knights. They can feel well. They're rich. They can afford to field lots of knights. So they're going to so have probably some, special knights and... They'd have some good cavalry, and then I think they would have better than average infantry. Because, again, they can afford to outfit them. I feel like, because yeah, I'm going I back to... special units would have, like, what is it, Clegane's, like, uh, ra raiders, right? So like Yeah, his, and that's like... the other thing I was thinking about. Uh, so units depending... Like, let's say, oh, let's say great knights, right? They'd have, like, special, like, golden great knights. They would have Clegane's raiders. I like that a lot as an idea. And then I also was thinking about how, like, the Egyptians in Age Mythology had a mercenary system. I mean, land yeah. money, so they probably have a special kind of mercenary that they could just buy really quickly. So oh, yeah, we'll bring mercenary system back in. But I was thinking uh, to represent all the minor houses, depending on where your units are recruited from, they have different heraldry to represent the minor house they're coming from. Mm -hmm. Kind of cool. Give it a medieval two feel of, you know, all these different checkered patterns and heraldry. And then and one more uh, question that I have. How many... What, what are we looking at for probably factions, right? We'd want Stark, we'd want Lannister, we'd probably want Dorne because they have a very unique aesthetic being in the desert. Yeah. We'd want Targaryens. Tyrells. Ty I guess Tyrells. And, and then we yeah. probably want... Dothraki. Lannisters, Dothraki, uh, what, like Wildlings. So okay, Greyjoys. Greyjoys, Lannisters, Tullys. Maybe, yeah. Tully, Tully's kind of get a bad rap because they just kind of get <laughs> mollywopped. I don't think the, 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 wall, the wall doesn't get to be a faction, I think. I think the no. wall is... No, like, they stay special. neutral. Yeah. And, but yeah. I think there would be a really cool mechanic that you could do with... It's called, like, the strength of the wall, right? Or the watch, right? Yeah. And so, like, as certain things are happening, right, with, like, uh, politics and, like, sending people to the wall, right, there's, like, a level meter of how strong uh, the the watch is, right? And, like, there might be occasional things where, like, wildling attacks, whatever, like, deplete it. But the stronger that watch uh, uh, defensive meter is, 
the better you're going to be positioned when the White Walker endgame. Yes. Okay. We are in the exact same brainwave because yeah. I'm thinking that would be cool because you're like, fuck, I really need this money to raise an army because the yes. Lannisters are raiding myself. But I know eventually the White Walkers are going to come boiling over that wall and I need to delay them. Yeah. Which also or is like, funny because you win that... a battle and instead of like ransoming everyone back, you could send them to the wall, right? I want this but now. <laughs> now you've just sent all those dudes to the wall. Who were on your enemy side? So now, like the walls, politics that comes into play too. Ooh, I, you know, I don't ooh. know, right? Yeah, no. I also, I also love the idea that that also means wherever you are geographically means you're going to have more or less care about the wall. Like if you're in mm-hmm. Dorn, mm-hmm. you're in a desert. You're at the way bottom. You yeah, Dorn kinda... doesn't give shit about the wall. <laughs> yeah. Whereas if you're Stark, you're like the yeah. wall's right there. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're enemy no- or we're, no. we're target number one. Yeah. And okay. I know there was a really good uh, war game based on Game of Thrones, and I'm sure they've done a lot of the legwork in defining unique units. Okay, all right, because that I just from a mechanic standpoint, it's important to me that we have a a fair number of factions, and each faction yeah. has a fair number of uniqueness. And I feel like other games like this have shown us that you can get away with three factions, but I would want to have no fewer than five personally in any given game like this. And I think having three to six unique units per faction is reasonable so i think that's very doable in game of thrones world even with them basically just being people yeah no i think this ends up being a smaller total war game i don't think it's so small to be a saga though i think yeah no it's on the it's it's on the other just on the other side of saga where the lord of the rings one was just butting up against being a total war game this is just butting up against being a saga because we have enough faction diversity and unit diversity it's like no this needs to be a bigger thing this will be a full total war game but just barely and i really fucking want this game now yeah. I think it's funny because Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones as properties are compared a weird amount for being as big fantasy. As they are. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's just funny that like how we come to this conclusion or not this conclusion, this idea of how they are approached fundamentally differently from a video game perspective. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And vibe. Like that's the thing is like they just they would feel completely different, right? One is more um, you know, high fantasy. And the other one is way more like <laughs> dark politics. It's well, weird. Well, yeah. Also, right. And I say don't say this as a positive or a negative, just an observation. But Lord of the Rings is vibe, as it were, is very much a good and evil, very black and white, as you guys pointed out. So it's like we're against the tide, or we are the tide, and yep. and that's what we're doing. Whereas Game of Thrones is a lot more murky. And while we're establishing that there is a black evil thing we got to deal with at the end. Most of it is this much more gray, like kind of dirty pol- pol- conversation diplomacy kind of game. Yeah, I'm I'm on board yeah, with this. Yeah, no, you could win a campaign without ever fighting a single battle. Which yeah, that's why I thought the money like debt system would be interesting. Because can you like wouldn't that be the Lannisters' main thing? Is like yeah, we can go to war, but we can't just buy you all because <laughs> we have a mountain of gold. Yeah, yeah, and it's like there's got to be some sort of like crate. Sorry, I'm like so into this idea. No, I love like, it. <laughs> There's got to be some like crazy bonus that you get for. So I'm sorry when we think we, we were talking about um uh the, in the first Rome game. I can't remember if it's in Rome too. There's like key areas of interest you can find. You can when you take over a province if there's a wonder there. You yeah, get, like, Rome too had bonus. those. So I just imagine that there'd be like certain key locations that you would have that would like you would grant you those crazy bonuses obviously the biggest one being king's landing but i also imagine there's just like a huge detriment for having king's landing based off like <laughs> the the how many people live there 
the negative Cla- politics after plague, of that, being plagued right? back in. Well, plus King's Landing has got to be the. Uh, Oh, I don't know why I suddenly lost it, but it's got to be like the Edo, where it's like, mm-hmm. this is the mm-hmm. place everyone wants, and if you own it, you are getting targeted by multiple people. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, no, there's so many great mechanics. The food mechanic, squalor mechanic, play... Mm-hmm. Oh! Mm-hmm. Give me mm-hmm. this game! <laughs> okay, so we are all on board. The Game of Thrones definitely gets the Total War treatment, and there's... Yes. Yep, there's... Yep. Less hoops we got to go through than in the the previous two ideas. Now, before we go to the next one, because the next one's another fantasy-like thing, I want to put in a question. Has there been something that involves colonialization era or even pre-colonialization era North America? Kinda. What one? Uh, Empire Total War had a DLC called Warpath where you could play as the Cherokee and a couple other tribes against uh the early colonies yeah because all right see i didn't know that but when we were talking about like i was trying to think about like what real world time i would like to see and that was one of my thoughts is i feel like pre-colonization north america doesn't get attention also a medieval two spinoff where you can play as the aztecs or the mayans or the plains indians or and that one's like mostly uh, it's like you have act- the, the the big threat is the uh, the arrival of of European explorers. So like in the first part of the game, it's just you versus uh, like other tribes, and it's crazy because you just you feel like these massive armies. They were huge, and okay, like they that, were just like and, and they were already. super fast because they were just like they were just they just jetted across like the battlefield. And, like, they would just clash each other. It was great. And then all of a sudden, like, horses and cannons and stuff show up. And it was just, like, yeah, that, that one was medieval Total War Two expansion. Yeah, I just never heard anyone mention it. I just heard all the European stuff. So, and I just wanted to ask. So, okay. They were... The balance was ridiculously broken. Mm, yes. Well, then, can I say, let's make a better version of that? So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I, well, because Empire, Empire Total War... Uh, had a really brought some really interesting elements to like the franchise or the series, I should say. But there was also like a part where I just felt like I uh, I wanted a little bit more. Yeah, um, Empire it. like is recently come like there's a bunch of unfinished code in the game. <laughs> like it got rushed out the door and then kind of subsequently abandoned. Yeah, so there's some great stuff there, but like. That's one that's surprisingly, like, I have the most fun on the map. Uh, I have more fun on the on the campaign map than I have actually fighting any of the battles. In- I, I, I love Empire and its expansion, Napoleon. I don't know if it's a good Total War, but I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, back to the list. The next one that Ulrich has written down is Star Wars. And before any arguments are made... I want to say that I feel like I have an irrational no just popped in my head. Like, I don't have reason for it, and I figure we're going to figure out if I have reason for it. But my initial thought was just, no. (laughs) This one I put back with the Lord of the Rings one. People just want a Star Wars RTS. Honestly, my first thought went right to Battlefront 2 back on PlayStation 2. And, like, I already have that, and I feel like that gets me what I want for Star Wars. There's also... Empire at War, which is a really great series where yeah. it's a Star Wars RTS where you actually have a map and you're like going from planet to planet. You're taking it over 
um, and it's more like arcade ba- battle-y, um, but like you drop units on a battlefield, you you know, you take over command points and what have you. Um, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I would say the surprise one here that I want to do is I think this could actually work, and the precedence for this is a very old Star Wars game called Star Wars Rebellion, where... I don't know that one. It was uh, really old, uh, and the... You started off with like a giant galactic map and you would build resources and buildings on those maps. You would send characters out on missions to like either do espionage or diplomacy because you could like get planets to come to your side based off diplomacy instead of just taking it over. And the entire game was the Empire had to go capture Luke, Mon Mothma and destroy the rebel base. The rebels had to capture Darth Vader, the Emperor and take over Coruscant. And it was super fun. They're you could easily up it, update it with like total war mechanics, like some of the politics and some of the other things that you have in these other games. But the bigger focus would need to be on space battles as the main battle, as opposed to ground battles. I think you could still yeah. do those, but space battles, if you switch it where that becomes the focus, then I think it actually works really well. That's an interesting idea. Like you're building up not an army, but a fleet. And Correct. So... Yeah. That's an interesting... I love that idea, now that you say that. Oh. I mean, you can tell there'd be people who would be disappointed to not have, like, an army of, like, stormtroopers on the city. You'd have yeah. an army of TIE fighters. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it had, like, a 3D battle. Ooh. I mean, it was bad, but it was, like, old. It was, like, little, well, like, this, this 2D sounds, images. This is very similar to uh, uh, Star Trek Birth of the Federation. It does something mm. just like that. And I love Birth of the Federation. It's combat is not particularly well-constructed, but it always got me... Because, like, literally, in, in Birth of the Federation, you don't have armies the same way that, like, we are used to in Total War. Every ship is just an independent thing, but you can group them together, and if they're on a square, when something encounters, then they'll all function together, essentially. And so, like, I had these things where I'd build up a fleet of Romulan warbirds and go fight the Borg Cube, and I'm thinking of doing that... But with Star Wars ships, and I mean, I prefer Star Trek in general, but I'm just saying that I get it. And I feel like it worked for Star Trek. It could work here. Yeah, yeah. Because all the, in in Star Wars Rebellion, all of the ground battles were uh, auto-calculated. So very similar to, if people who are familiar with Total War, with the old series, all of the sea battles were uh, auto-calculated until they started doing sea battles. Um, So it's weird, because it would be like a shift. You wouldn't be doing these ground battles, you'd be doing these space battles. But it could be super fun, and I could see that there could actually be there could be a way to do it. It's it's just it's a you have to kind of shift your your focus on. Uh, no, you've won me over. Yeah, I think same. I, I, I would re- still want I the ground. <laughs> yeah, I still want my ground battles because well, I want it still to feel like a uh, total war game. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it works. The only real issue is this one has even a harder time with the diplomacy than Lord yeah. of the Rings. Oh, there's no diplomacy yep. here. I mean, as far as we know, in the Star Wars universe, there's only basically ever two factions, the Empire, not the Empire. So they'd already have to do some expanding out to, like, uh, make Mandalore a faction or something. So, or well, that's what I'm wondering. Strange. Do you, like, do two games? Like, do you want to do Rebellion or the Galactic Civil War and the Clone Wars? Like, you bundle those in, you know, pick either or. Yeah. Because yeah. For the then record, you can really I'm throw in the gates. I, I'm coming down on that. I would not even want grand battles, by the way. I think I'm really, I would go all in. Oh, no, you are not going to deny me my ATTEs and my LATs and all the other goodness that would come with an epic ground battle. 
Yeah. Power to you, but um, that's that's my feelings on it. Anyway, continue. I yeah, think I think you would have to get really creative with alternative factions. So I view it as again, not to just go to keep going to these wells, but I think it's good to make comparisons. You look at like some of the the uh, like Rome games that were connected to like the fall of the empire. So yeah, barbarians and stuff. Where cool, you have this big faction, the Galactic Empire, but it's like really strong at its core uh, planets, but like the fringes is like, look, anything can like rise up and take it. So it would be like uh, insurgencies that aren't necessarily the rebellion, but I would imagine like Saw Gerrera's kind of stuff. And then you I have to... think if you did it Clone Wars, you have the best options sure. because you have the Galactic Empire, you have the Republic, and you have the uh, Confederacy. Uh, Confederacy. And then back to kind of Game of Thrones things, you're trying to sway all mm. these little outliers to join your cause so you get auxiliaries to whatever you have. Yeah. And then you can throw open the gates with all the crazy alien races of Star Wars. Which, by the way, we don't have to talk about this in depth, but now that we talk about this, I also want Star Trek Total Total War. Yeah. And you could just adapt it from Birth of Federation combined with the ideas we're talking about for Star Wars. Same deal. Anyway. I want an army of Wookiees. Yeah. <laughs> all right. No, I think Star Wars could totally work. I'm turned around on that one. Same. Nice. Yeah. And, I, and now I also want Star Trek as well. So this is good, good conversation for me. So, <laughs> all right, now we're moving into the historical ones, and these get a bit more yes/no kind of off the gate. Uh, World War One or World War Two? Uh, one, I think, actually is honestly more interesting. Like I know World War Two is the one that looms large in our historical consciousness, but that's because World War Two had that big like. Well, this side is definitely the evil side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, World War II was a hard no because you shouldn't be trying to succeed with the Third Reich. Yeah, whereas World War One is kind of the most tragic thing because it was just like there wasn't a direct good guy or bad guy. It was the, you know, there's a lot of reasons that historians discuss about what caused World War One, but like the alliance system is a big part of that. <laughs> so, no, World War One could work, I think, in a lot of ways. We're going to garbage World War Two because no. Just, just, yeah. No, I second that one. I'm good good with giving that one a hard pass. World War II can stay with the first-person shooter games that love it because that's that's reasonable. But I think there's also like a lot of really good uh, World War II RTSs already um, because I think that's the difference. Is World War One? It's it in my mind. I look at it and it's just like okay, it's trench warfare. It's way more like it's just it's a slightly advanced version of like Empire Total War. While World War II is way more about, like, mobility and, like, massive, like, uh, maneuvers of, like, tanks and troops and all that stuff that just doesn't feel like... Give give that to your RTSs, like, Men of War or um, Company Heroes and stuff. And, like, that's fine. Yeah. You can have that. I'm trying to think yeah, about and you're not that. empire building. <laughs> that's yeah, yeah, yeah. You should yes, not want exactly. to empire build as the Third Reich. That is, that is so incredibly bad. Also, I don't see how a Total War combat system could make, like, the Krieg work... <laughs> but that's a whole other question so no and world war one you have a very it's uh well you can focus on the european front almost exclusively i don't have Whereas, to though that's kind of the cool thing about world war one is the more you read into it like history books in the west don't tell us about the stuff that was going on in all the other sides but it was sure. like japan had big things going on in the entire eastern hemisphere that we just never hear about it in western textbooks yeah so it opens you up to dlcs you know, like you can really start to find out where World War Two, like 
how am I going to garbage it? The only real one is how do battles work? Because World War II battles are static and then you mean World War big I upheaval battles. and then static and then big upheaval. Yeah, yeah, because, again, trench warfare. The whole point of trench warfare is you stay in the theoretically safe trenches while you're being bombarded artillery, and then you try to move forward to the next trench. And So would the battle map just be about claiming, expanding your front? I mean, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I think it's that, and then I think there's a level of, uh, like, again, another mechanic based off uh, attrition and morale, right? Like, I think that's the biggest thing. Like Supply lines would morale. make a big comeback. Huh? Say again? Supply lines, like a return yes. to actual supply lines, like having to have like from Empire, like you need supply depots. Can I? Can yeah. I? Yeah. Getting your quick. supply depot cut off. At this point, there's there's another thing too that Total War Warhammer Three. I love it. I do. There is one thing it does that I don't like compared to Warhammer Two, which is it introduces some elements that, and I don't know how to say this better, force me to remember that it's a video game, like the hmm. game elements, like. Basic example, in Total Warhammer 2, sieges, while they have their own problems, still feel like sieges, but Total Warhammer 3, the sieges with their supply line system, makes it feel like I'm playing a literal board game and pulls me out of the the fantasy of the experience. I'm not saying that the supply lines you guys are talking about are like that. I just want to put a big hmm. like asterisk here that I feel like a Total War game, to my mind, should avoid mechanics that feel inherently gamey. And I'm not saying to go, like, full in on realism, because I'm not a realism person. I'm just saying that, like, I want to feel like I'm engaging in a siege, not playing a board game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think the battles are going to be the hardest thing to crack with this one, because I can already see how the map works out. Like, you're just taking uh, cities that provide fronts that expand that. Yeah, because I feel like there's a way to do it where the part of the battle that you have to do, because, you know, if it's very static warfare, it's uh, the the fight you need to lose is, or the fight that you could potentially lose is popularity back home, right? Yeah. Because that's the whole thing with, like, World War One, where there's just countries that were like, nope, we're done. Like, we can't do this anymore. We're out, right? Propaganda and, could be an interesting, since World War One was the advent of, you know, video and movies and stuff. There's kind of the beginning of... I mean, propaganda has existed for thousands of years, but propaganda as we know it today, like, took part, was a really big part of World War One and Two. So it could be interesting to have a internal diplomacy mechanic. Yeah. I don't know. This one I'm kind of stuck on because I just, I don't know what the battles look like. Because yeah. you got airplanes and naval power. Yeah. And this one feels like I don't know how you do this one. Yeah. I was, I'm not going to lie. I went in this one super excited. And the more I'm thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, I might throw this in the same bin as World War Two. <laughs> Yeah, and then the the front is so broad and You know what I would do? I would probably actually split World War One up into multiple saga games with a different focus. Like World War One the the European front that is all just ground warfare and then like World War One the the A like Asia and it's actually mostly about like aerial combat and stuff like that. And so I I probably that's my thought, anyway. <laughs> that can work, but then if you don't like one version, or like one form of combat, you're not going to buy that game. Yeah, I mean, that's why I said like a saga, like a small... Yeah, I think this is the first one that's going to go on the list of I don't think it works. Yeah, I'm going to second that one. I, I feel I like, I feel like could... if people want to do this experience, they can play... What is the that series? Heart of Iron? Heart of Iron does World War Two. Oh, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. No, there was a really good mod for Civ Five to let you do this, and it worked really well there. 
It's funny because I feel like that's one of the issues I had with the Star Wars conversation was just like, I feel like trying to mix aerial combat and ground combat in the same setting is just asking for problems because there's so many logistical questions in from like how you play a video game. Warhammer makes it work and the planes are slow enough, but yeah, no, I think there's too many moving pieces. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I still think World War One could work, but I'm giving it a, like, this would be a small, very focused thing. Maybe one saga and then, like, a DLC added to it to, like, expand it for people who are really into that setting. So Yeah. Now, the All next right. one, I'm going to give a, a flat-out no for a very yeah. specific reason, which is the next one is American Civil War. And just like we said with World War II... I don't want to give the worst people in our country the ability to live out their fantasy of empire building the Confederacy. Period. Yeah. I don't care yeah. what other bonuses and positives you might get from this. I don't want that to be a thing. Yep. No, that's the one. There's no good PR spin for this one. Yeah. Some of no, these... I, I, I agree with both of you. Because in my head, I was thinking about this one earlier today. And I was like, man, there's interesting things you could do with it. But for the for the reason that you're saying, it's just like, no, it's, it's not just it. not worth it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because Civil War is a great, from a historical war, history of war perspective, there's a lot of cool battles and stuff and, like, how certain generals interact with each other. But again, I don't want to give those people that. The fair, minute no. empire building comes into play, it's like, no, 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 no. And, I, and that's, that's not to, like, cover up the American Civil War. I think the Civil War is the most important event in American history for a number of reasons. And yeah, I know actual history buffs can debate me on this. I'm, I'll just concede to them because I'm not a history guy, but I'm just saying like, it's important. And this feels like I don't want to even entertain the idea of alternate history with this outside of things like the man, in the high castle, which is, you know, interesting, but not this where you're actively playing it. So yeah, no, this is just a hard pass. Pike and shot which you have written is Italian Renaissance and 12 Years War. Now, I admit that as a not-history-of-war buff, I never thought of the Renaissance as a wartime. I know that generally France was fighting everyone for a long time, including in the Renaissance, but I never thought of that, so... Well, it's the Italian wars on the peninsula with all the city-states or the 12 Years' War with all the German uh, countries and Sweden, Protestant Catholic stuff. Basically, any of the time in that little period where guns exist, but they aren't great, well, so they're still relying... Then, right? <laughs> not Prussia. Prussia doesn't exist. This is, the, this is like the lead-up to Prussia. Oh, like, I this is when was Germany. Yeah. yeah so... No, this is when Germany was like 800 different minor kingdoms. Fair. Like, no exaggeration. It was just nothing but little kingdoms and princes. Which, but real, real quick side question. What Total War game... Because I... There's got to be one that deals with the Ottoman Empire, right? Where's the Ottoman Empire live currently? Uh, yeah, Empire, Total War. Empire. Empire? Okay. All right. But it's the waning years of it more than anything. All right. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. So, yeah, basically this is like pick any – There's a, this would be a saga one because there's so many little snapshots. Yeah. But this is the period in which guns exist, but they aren't great. So they're still using big pike block formations and cavalry and – Basically, you're taking the Empire from Empire Total War, stripping out the magic, and then doubling down on the guns and pikes and swords. I want to say, and keep in mind, this is just my initial thought, I want to say no for the only reason that you had to have parentheses and an explanation to even tell me what you were talking about. Now, you could argue that's a reason to do it, because they give people exposure to, to it, and... 
now that I say that out loud, I have no argument against that. But I'm just saying <laughs> from the business perspective, I, I don't know how, I don't think this would work. <laughs> I think it works as a saga one, be, but the only problem there is this is the age of mercenaries. This is the age of very similar armies. And I don't know what you do to make this really interesting outside of people that really like this era. Yes, yeah, that's what I'm saying is that this is a very niche like it's been a popular suggestion and i can see it in my head like yeah that'd be fun for about 20 hours and then it's really just maneuvering giant blocks of troops bert yeah i just i think that this could work as a saga i just don't know the longevity of this one like i feel like that's the problem like when you started to describe it i was like no this could be really interesting this could be really cool um, but then the more I thought about it, I was like, yeah, like I remember that what the city state one in um, uh, uh, Rome total war with the Peloponnesian war that you could do. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, that was fun. I enjoyed this. This could be a way to do it. But then just I don't I'm not I, I don't know. There's something about it that hasn't like fully grasped me. This is a DLC for Medieval 3. Mm, yes. All right, that's yes. Fine. OK, yeah. now I'm into it. Yeah, it makes sense. As a DLC, that makes sense. Yeah. Because, again, there's so you can this is tail end of the medieval period this is again we we guns are advanced but they aren't great enough so it's reliant on interlocking between pike blocks and musket blocks and cavalry but it doesn't really work like this would not work as a saga as a dlc that you go hey i paid 18 bucks for this i got 20 hours out of it that's a good time yeah i can see that all sure. right, Victorian era. I have a thought, but for the last like three things, I gave my thought first, so I'm gonna wait. <laughs> uh, this is basically the pre World War One, where all the empires of Europe are having their own proxy wars. Bert, again, this is one where I was like, when I see it, I was like, man, this could work. I, I actually think this could be really interesting. It basically would be like a a revamp of Empire Total War in a way that could like uh you know if you actually polished it and and you did a lot of things it could be really interesting especially if you add an extra element in regards to um you know the expansion of the quote-unquote empire um my concern is the same thing that we had with empire i mean the game came out but you know we're talking about colonialism which is an interesting topic um and you know there's something to be said (laughs) about making a game you know, why is this one okay as opposed to the stuff that we were talking about in some of the other scenarios not okay? Yeah, I was about to say, we ain't making a total war of the Congo. Ain't gonna happen. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. this one, I like the idea, but kind of like the Pike and Shot, I feel like this is a DLC for Empire 2. Honestly, this is sounding like instead we just need to have a, no, a new Empire game. That We do need a new Empire yeah, game. Honestly. And that's what I'm saying. I think this could be it. Like, this could be like, oh, wow. Or like you said, an expansion of it, right? Or DLC for it. Because yeah. I think there is something there where, like, I do kind of want something that's, like, right on the cusp of World War One, but not quite there. So I'm still, like, using ships, going around the world, moving massive troops, doing these different things. Um, but not super crazy yet when it comes to, like, tech. And we can't... Yeah. You can't call it Victorian for one, I think, major reason. Which is Victorian, as an aesthetic, has a very defined cultural place. And that cultural place has nothing to do with armies or even large groups. It's an extremely, extremely individualistic aesthetic. Which is why 
games like Bloodborne and Vampire the Masquerade have pretty much already perfected the Victorian era game. <laughs> so, Yeah, but it's also this, the name of this period in history. And I don't know, this one, I, I like the ideas of, because like, you know, it has, this is, we, we've got breech-loading muskets, we've got very early machine guns, heavy industrialization, Prussia's on the rise. But at the same time, it's like, but what do you do to make this not just a DLC for Empire 2 that takes the basic gunpowder stuff and go, hey, look, trains. Yeah, and I don't think you yeah. do. I think that this, combine this with the Pike and Shot and maybe even the World War One conversation and instead just say, make a new an Empire 3 or 4, whatever the, the next number is, and give it, make it even bigger. Just string it together and like you start with the Pike and Shot and then it goes to Empire and then it goes to Napoleon and then it goes to Victorian. Yeah, kind of like, I mean, Age of Empires has been doing that shit for years, essentially. I would play the hell out of that. I don't know how much it would cost to make, but I would play the hell out of it. Especially if I could transfer my empire. Yeah. Yeah. Even, hell, even Civ does that. So. Yeah, I don't know. This one, maybe a saga game. Maybe. Yeah, I'm, I'm sticking with the, I'm wrapping it into Empire. Bert? All right. Yeah, I think this could be, uh, like, the kernel of Empire 2, right? Like, or whatever, whatever, whatever number they're on. It would be Empire uh, 2. Down. Yeah, right. if you can't, if you don't count Napoleon, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think there's something really interesting here potentially. At the same point, <laughs> I think there's been way more interesting stuff that we've talked about. So you know, this will probably be on the back of my queue. So the next one, prehistoric, is, this is an interesting one. Yeah. So this would be arguably this would be completely fantasy, which is fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And it would basically be taking the idea of like combining the Empire and the Lizardmen from Warhammer, but out into an entire game. So Yeah, no, this one gets brought up a lot, and people are always like, I just want an army of cavemen riding on the backs of mammoths with saber tooth tigers. Like, okay. That's Norska, first that's, of all. That's, I mean, we, we kind of have that. I'm not opposed yeah. to it, but what does this do that Warhammer doesn't? Yeah, mm-hmm. that was one of my first thought is, you want to ride dinosaurs? Play Lizardmen. You want to ride mammoths? Play Norska. So... Yeah, no, we, we kind of already have this, which is why it's always like, I get what you're asking, but we, we, we already have that. I don't know what, unless it's Dino Riders. Now, Dino Riders Total War, I'd sign me up for that. Yeah, here here's, I'm going to, can I take this and run with this a little bit? Go ahead, man. So if we're going fantasy, I want this to be like, uh, like full on fantasy, but like something crazy where it's like, um, uh like a weird dystopian element so like it's people riding dinosaurs with stuff right so it's not like okay this isn't like actually we are completely uh disconnecting this from reality whatsoever and at that point you can have a little bit more fun with like a fantasy element where it's boiled down people riding dinosaurs and saber-toothed tigers and all that stuff this makes it sound like sorry Quick no, go ahead. This makes it no, sound no, like that, uh, that not as good as it should have been animation from a few years ago that involved Teddy Roosevelt riding dinosaurs with machine guns. Yes. <laughs> I vaguely remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. just remember that the, the, the idea seemed awesome, and then everyone told me it was not. So, but take the idea and do something good with it, you know? Yeah. And like, if you did at this point where it's fantasy, like, oh, hey, I'm curious, right? Uh, and, and maybe the answer from Creative Assembly is no, we wouldn't want to touch this with a 10 foot pole. But like, they've done a really good job taking something fantasy 
forum established IP. So like, is this an opportunity where it's like, Hey, make your own, like go, go nuts with like your own fantasy IP that you can develop where it's not super crazy. It's low tech, but like you can have people like riding dinosaurs and there could be like, I don't know, mutant men and like sludge monsters or whatever, whatever, right. Go nuts at that point. Um, you know, could it be, do we, do we have enough confidence in them as a team that they could create their own uh, unique universe and make it feel fun. Uh, I I do. I just worry that the community would revolt because it's correct. not history and it's not fantasy, and they get very touchy if it doesn't fall into one of those two lines. Looking at you, Troy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't. I don't have a. I think the idea of making your own entire fantasy from the ground up with the basic aesthetic of essentially modern prehistoric combination could be worthwhile. I do feel like that's probably a lot more upfront work than pretty much anything else we've discussed so far. So yeah, for real. All right. So let's roll into the last one, which is a Bert suggestion. And I hope it is what I think it is. All right. So I have a loose suggestion. So yeah, let me just say this real quick. Uh, When it comes to the idea of total war dealing with other IPs, like there are plenty of fictional worlds or settings that I think could work really well. I'm a big fan of things like Mass Effect and Fallout, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. both of Mm -hmm. those could be really good candidates. I don't necessarily know if those are worth discussing because of the number of IP questions and whatnot, but I'm just saying that anything that falls into that kind of category, I don't know. I just thought it was worth mentioning as an idea. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's actually really interesting. I had one that I didn't put on here because I think it's kind of ridiculous, but I was trying to think about, like, what's an IP that, like, could still, you know, where melee combat is still a uh, component of it, but could be, you know, you using some firearms based off some of the stuff we've seen. That's why I thought. But oddly enough, that, but I landed with Gears of War. Uh, I think you could do a Gears of War mm. Total War game that's not actually the Cog versus the Locust. You could, but that is also very like one v one, or you know, good, not good, I should say, but faction versus faction with some minor sub factions. I think you actually said it in the Pendulum War, where it's a bunch of like the actual armies fighting each other before Emergence Day. And at that point, like you can do things where it hits a little bit of the Empire Total War, where like people are shooting. You can have like tanks and vehicles and stuff, but you can still just like grab a bunch of dudes, have them rev their chainsaw bayonets, <laughs> and then like <laughs> charge in. So like for me, there's a surprising one where I was like, I think Gears of War could actually do this and do this well, but it's also like bridge is a little bit too far into uh, that those same issues that we're talking about with World War II, where maybe the units don't necessarily line up one for one with a total war game. Well, that's also why, like, this is the last video game I'll mention. My brain went to Diablo for a moment Ooh. because I love the idea of aesthetically an an angel versus de- devil. A, you know, heaven versus hell idea and i was like what ip does that well diablo does that well with some really great designs and some really wide variety kind of things and you could that uh, has a lot of internal lore factions you could break out hell each prime and lesser evil could be their own faction but again same kind of issues with as with lord of the rings i would say in that regard so yeah plus Oh, no, I liked... See, I feel like we're pitching, like, we need these games as RTSs more than we need them as Total War games. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And that says a lot about the state of RTS games at the moment. Yeah. yeah, it's just there's something... I agree with you totally. There is something unique about the the vibe of, of Total War versus an RTS, and especially even the combat versus what an RTS is, that I feel like I'd like to see 
a Total War style combat system with angels versus demons as opposed to a StarCraft system of that, you know. But I get yeah. what you mean. Yeah. Anyway, now that tangent aside, now we can give your last one, Bert. <laughs> all right. All right. So this is one that I was thinking about a lot today. Uh, and I think uh, the precedence has been set, which is I want to do a Total War game that is to- like con Total War. So it's Mongolian Empire based, right? Before we continue, Very similar. Do the Mongols, say again? Before we continue, do the mm-hmm. Mongols exist in any current Total War game? They do, and this is what's really interesting, is they, they exist in a bunch of games, but they always exist as a non-player faction. They are the what? big threat that shows up, uh, you know, mid or end game to represent a huge threat that you have to overcome. Genghis Khan is one of the biggest empires in for world history. How is that not playable? <laughs> I know. No, <laughs> exactly. No, they basically show up to, like, you can't stay, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. For the love of God, stop playing. Because they're almost always just undefeatable. Yeah. Which also, the Mongols in, engage in a lot of diplomacy, actually. Though. Correct. So, yep. Anyway. No, you're, you're feeling me on this. So I th- let me let me pitch you my three-prong Mongol you know, con Total War game. Okay. And I'm pulling this a lot from the Shogun Total War series, right? Shogun Total War has three components. There's, like, the Rise of the Samurai. There's, like, the, um, the main game. And then there's the Fall of the Samurai, right? And each one feels different and represents like different areas in Japan's history. I am pitching the exact same thing for the Mongolian Empire, right? The first one is like very beginning, like unite the tribes, uh, get everyone behind your war banner, a smaller scale. The politics are still involved because you have to handle, um, you know, becoming too powerful than other uh, of tribes on the steps might rise against you. But that's the first for like the first game second game is like cool, cool the mongol empire's on the verge of getting established you have to take out like the big things like um the you know the chinese empire as well as like that first initial set of expansions and then the third game is connected to like the fall of the mongolian empire right so like the the khanates are already like established politics is involved but it's almost like things are starting to like decay um, and, and throughout all of these games, there's the core game mechanic, which is a, a really thing. The thing that I love in some of the games, which is the whole like uh, dynasties that you can create with your family. Basically, in like Total War, um, you have like your family line, and as uh, you know, the heir or the the head of the family dies, it goes to the heir, right? But with this game, and it kind of scales as you play from either the you know, first, second, or third. Anytime someone dies, everyone has to like come back and vote for like the new leader, right? So there's like that added politics level where like you're in addition to all the conquests that you're that you're you're embarking on, you have to play the game of making sure that like when your leader dies, is your family set up for continuing the empire, right? Or do you get like pushed out? And then while all this is going on, you can also then in addition to just like cool, obviously playing as because I imagine this is like very structured similar to how the rome games are structured where yeah if you play as rome they're a powerhouse and you're going to start dominating cool that's what i want that's what that's that's expected right that's what when i buy a con total war or you know golden horde total total war this is what i'm expecting but you can also do all of these different sub factions and of of countries similar to how in uh total war or rome total war barbarian where like if you get 
uh, your home country taken over, you kind of go into diaspora and you have to like go and take over a new spot. In this one, it's like you can become a vassal. So like you could be taken over, but like now that you've been taken over, you have to like aren't really fully in control. You have to like go where things are tell like where they tell you to go to and like you know supply troops and tribute and all that stuff. But like, can you take it over from the inside or can you hold out? Because I I like that idea. So yeah, go ahead. Sorry. One thing that popped in my head was, and I'm thinking of this from when I, I, I watched a series on world history from Crash Course, John Green, great stuff. And he talked about in Chinese history, there's this idea of the mandate of heaven. And mm-hmm. and everyone like you know, everyone knows the idea of China's Great Wall and the Mongolians and whatnot. What is less well known, and again I'm doing this from loose memory, is that when the Great Wall was breached and the Mongolians basically took it over there was actually a dynasty and i don't know how long it lasted that was pretty much the mongolians in charge of china uh, now again i don't know the details on this very much but the that idea in my head is like almost an inverse of what we discussed with the white walkers where instead of a looming threat it's more like okay as the competing cons for the empire one of us eventually has to go take china but the longer we take dealing with each other just the harder that's going to be. They, they're yep. building walls. They're building defenses. They're building armies. They are at no. We're at no threat to them coming out to get us because they're super insular. But our goal is to eventually take China. And the longer it takes for us dealing with our own bullshit, the harder that's going to be. Yeah, and there's there's a really interesting mechanic that you can do. So in the Total War and and Rome, the Barbarian Total War, religion played an effect. So like your leader could you know, you know, be Christian or pagan or what have you. And depending on what their religion was, if that didn't mesh with the rest of the country's or the province's uh, population's religion, then like bad things could happen. I imagine in this, it's more secularism versus like tribalism, right? Yeah. So that's the thing is like, is your con way more into like assimilating with other cultures or are they holding adhering to like, the the old ways right and depending on which the more and more you do like assimilation wise is going to allow for like bigger diplomacy bonuses when you talk to similar uh you know countries uh, or empires versus uh then that starts to you start to lose support from the rest of like the warlords if you stray that way uh, over kind of the traditional ways and also, i think there's a lot here that you could do that could really make this super fun <laughs> yeah and also think yeah. about i'm just trying to think about like so mongolians were interesting for so many reasons but one of the coolest things about them is how in history especially western historians have these things that they'll say make something a civilization which is mm-hmm. very an issue for a number of reasons but putting those to the side for a different more intelligent podcast <laughs> Generally speaking, the exception to those things is the Mongolian civilization. Because, example, most Western historians for the longest time said if you were a nomadic people, you were not a civilization. You had to be agrarian. Except for the Mongols, who were a nomadic civilization. So, I'm thinking of that, which makes me realize that, theoretically, a Khan Total War game would be one where every faction is a horde faction. And I'm thinking about how that would completely change the dynamic of 
have plans. I don't know if you make every faction a horde faction, but I definitely think you have different... You could totally play with the structures. Like, if you are a Mongolian, you play as a horde, and it plays this way. If you're playing Chinese, you play this way. If you're playing Korean, you play this way. If you're playing Japanese, you play this way. If you're playing Indian, you play this way. Oh, yeah, but since the game is called Total War Khan, most of it is going to be with Mongolian tribes, I think. Well, I mean, Rome Total War is called Rome, but it's not just Romans. Yeah, yeah, I'm just saying that I feel like since that's the focus, as opposed to here are the a couple of horde factions, that's the norm, and the non-horde factions are the the outliers. Yeah, I'm just, I don't know. I think that works because I don't, I don't know how big you want to do the map. Do you want to go into the Middle East and start adding the Middle Eastern regions and like make it a full total war game, or do you want to keep it contained just to Central Asia and make it a saga game? This one has legs, I think. And I think that's where like with you could do you could do this as uh, a game that had three components, right? Again, similar to like Shogun Total War, where it's like each one feels like its own game. Like the first one, I love the idea of when you're saying like, yeah, yeah most of these. Feel like these could feel like um, uh, nom- nomadic armies, right? That's ima- I imagine that's exactly how like the first one is, where it's like, or the the, the pre empire establishment one is, and then like that part, it's like a bunch of the tribes on the steps, and you have to like unite them, right? Versus you know the third game, which is more like cool. The empires are established, like the the khanates are like established, so, like there's more solidified cities, but like you could still do elements where like man. Like, oh, oh, this could be, like, super cool, depending on how big you made this map of, like, what you wanted to expand into, you know? Take it back to, like, they did with Napoleon, where it's different chapters. Different, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, they the campaigns are kind of within these little chapters, and you have unique units that only exist within this chapter, make it really thematic. Like, oh, that'd be cool. That'd be totally different. You know, we haven't done that in ever, too. Yeah, and if you really wanted to, now hear me out on this, if you really wanted to, right, because we know that Warhammer Total War has, um, what is it, Immor- uh, Immortal Empires, right? God. And it's a huge, giant map. I imagine if you did this whole Con Total War, where if you did these different chapters, that's like the main game, all building up to probably their version, a historical version of Immortal Empires, which is like very similar to that world map in Empire Total War, where you can literally go from the the americas to europe to asia where i don't think you would go to necessarily the americas but you could do it where it's like cool here's europe uh and um the mediterranean here's like central asia here's like um you know china and japan right southeast asia right and at that point it's just like you could in theory have a giant immortal empires-esque game map that is historical which we do not have yeah I mean, that's reasonable to have that. I mean, I feel like that map probably would belong in Empires, the the new one we've talked about a few times, but I'm on board with the con game in general anyway, so... <laughs> no, my brain immediately goes to... You tied in, like, do you have con Total War? Do you have Medieval Total War 3? Guess what? They combined for this empire. <laughs> oh, that's a cool idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. All right, well, we've been going... Uh, a little longer than expected, so I want to say that my concluding thought is that at this whole conversation, it feels like our biggest thumbs up, our biggest yes, was Game of Thrones, and our biggest yeah. and our biggest do not do this was American Civil War. So, <laughs> yeah, that tracks. No, I agree. I want that Game of Thrones one. I want to start bugging uh, CA like, hey, I've I've got a pitch for you. <laughs> Any concluding thoughts, Bert? Um, yeah, no, pretty much. I feel like I, th- I think. 
this conversation has shown that there is so much that you can do with this series and there's a hunger for more stuff outside of what we already have both with fantasy specifically warhammer and historical well that i'm excited i'm excited to see what they can do for us i do think that and we didn't touch on this other outside the star wars conversation but there isn't a sci-fi one yet right mm-hmm. at all oh yeah we should talk about that one uh the conspicuous <clears throat> absence from this list Oh, yeah, and, of course. But the, the obvious elephant in the room with 40K. <laughs> the one that I forgot. Yeah, 40K. You're probably wondering, why didn't you guys talk about 40K? Everyone talks about 40K. Because everyone got... talks about it. What do you want? They should make it. Done. No, I got it. Oh, we are going to bring Bert back eventually to talk about how or if a 40K game could work and how that would look. Well, I want to say that, period, there should be a sci-fi one. The fact that there isn't any sci-fi one yet is really weird to me. So... Hey, they just dipped their toes into fantasy. Let's let's wait. And the sci-fi one's going to be 40K. If you don't believe they're not actively developing that, I don't know what to tell you. All right. Well, then it's at this point. We uh, we get the spotlight and the special box. We let we let Bert plug whatever he wants to plug. As thanks for chatting with us. Oh, uh, yeah. Pl- well, I have nothing to plug. I just like being here talking to you guys. <laughs> No, uh, go check out Mass Effect Adventum. Uh, it is our uh, Mass Effect-themed RPG that we do. Um, we're wrapping up Season 2. It's a lot of fun if you like uh, real-play TTRPG uh, games. Excellent. I, I mentioned Mass Effect, and we didn't have time to really talk about it, but I think it would be a good choice. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the next one. I think, we can, I think we can definitely do a Part 2. Yeah. So then, at this point... We have a thing we do in our regular episodes called Suggestions of the Week, where each of us suggests something that we have been engaged with recently that can or does not have to be related to our topic. To give a quick example, I have been a huge fan of the comedian Christopher Titus my entire life, and recently I've been on a kick of watching his series on YouTube called The Armageddon Updates. Four, three to five minute videos where he basically just rants about something going on in popular culture. And... I got on that because, well, I saw an article that referred to him as a conservative comedian, and then I found a five-minute video of him ranting about why the GOP is the party of death, and I was like, someone isn't paying attention. (laughs) So, anyway, it's good stuff. He's really funny, really insightful. Boom. There's my suggestion. All right. uh, I'll go next. Uh, Are either of you familiar with the Marvel character Hitmonkey? I've heard of him. Okay. So, I'm going to talk about the Hitmonkey show over on Hulu, which is is better than it has any right to be like this was part of the one like when marvel was going to do a bunch of adult animated stuff for hulu when they had uh modok and Hitmonkey and dazzler and howard the duck and then the last two fell through and they canceled modok but Hitmonkey is a really good animated show uh basically the plot synopsis is a vengeful japanese snow monkey and the ghost of an american assassin cut down tokyo's underworld that's just that's just the premise but basically it is an assassin goes to japan kills a man because he's an assassin and then he gets rescued by these japanese snow monkeys the people that you know were hired to kill the assassin kill him he then trains the monkey to avenge his fallen family by coming an assassin and it's really good yes like it sounds dumb and this was the one like there's no way this is going to be good but it really is a whole story about revenge and what violence does to you and how it taints your soul and this kind of political intrigue. You could just say that it stars a 
a monkey in a suit with a Glock and a katana <laughs> wearing sunglasses. I could, but I didn't want to be that base level. No, it's really Sometimes fun. Sometimes things really are just good. base level for a reason, man. <laughs> yeah, no, this is a really good one to come up because I was really underwhelmed by Modoc. But Hitmonkey is really good because, it's again, it's all about exploring this need for vengeance and what that does to you and what killing does to you. And right. it's really dumb but really smart at the same time. And I enjoyed the hell out of it. All right, Bert. Uh, I want to. Uh, for me, the suggestion of the week is the video game Inscription. Uh, it is a roguelike deck building game that I cannot sing this game's uh, praises uh, high enough. It's got like a like ninety eight percent on Steam. Uh, it's I, super trippy. I it's apologize. Super if, weird. Sorry, I apologize okay. if you've heard this a dozen times. But roguelike deck builder. You mean something like Slay the Spire? Yes, it's it's very much like Slay the Spire. Okay, continue. Um, sorry. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. It's very much like if you're if you're familiar with Slay the Spire, then then it's very much like that, except it's an added level of like super weird. Like it's it's while you're playing the game, really fucked up shit's happening. Like it's really I don't know how to describe. It. It's like if you're playing Slay the Spire in a Twilight Zone episode, um, weird shit happens. I don't know how to describe it. There's like some crazy mysteries. It's, so it's a little bit of like um, Slay the Spire with uh, like. Yeah, I don't know how to describe it. It's like just Pony weird. Island, like you're trapped. Maybe? <laughs> yeah, you're like trapped in a cabin, and like weird, creepy shit happens. Just like weird, creepy shit. Um, and it is if you like deck building games, uh, I check it out. And it is uh, probably oh. my vote for game of the year. I've seen this. My friends have been obsessed with it. I keep watching them play it in a uh, on like Discord. I didn't know mm-hmm. what it was called. So yeah. okay, just to add on to what he's saying when he says that like creepy things are happening and you're like you're literally in a cabin and like it sees you like holding the cards like physically and the the beings that you're playing against are for the most part just eyes in the dark and then like yeah it's really fucking weird (laughs) yeah then like as you are playing you start getting more views of like what they are and there Mm -hmm. might be like different kinds of eldritch entities wearing masks and uh yeah it's really creepy (laughs) it's really creepy but a lot of fun um, I highly recommend it. Interesting. All right. Well, Bert, thanks for coming on and talking with us. We always love having you on. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Love talking to both of you. And uh, be sure to tell us which of these games we suggested you want to see and uh, pitch us any of your ideas in case we do get that audience with CA and they turn us down for our Game of Thrones. <laughs> uh, you can do that by liking, sharing, subscribing, doing all things. Share this with your friends, share this with your enemies, share it with everybody. And you can find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Podcast, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and thefiresidealliance.com. If you disagree with some of the things we said, then we're open to it. Unless it's about the American Civil War one, in which case I don't want to hear it. So yeah, No, no, just fuck off. <laughs> and also you can rate us on Spotify, which I think helps us, but that's the magic of the internet, and I don't claim to know that. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable.